All right, we're live. How you doing, Joseph? Doing well. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You know, last week, so last week we recorded on Tuesday, and it's Tuesday now, so it's been a week since we recorded. And I had, since the last time we recorded, I've had a rough couple of days, but then since ever since Friday, I've kind of been riding this high, riding this wave, you know? So I don't know. That's hopefully. how life works sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully things get things stay that way. So uh, we're here to talk about Joseph and not you, Joseph, and not Jesus' dad, Joseph, but the Genesis Joseph. Yeah, so, the cool Joseph. Yeah, the cool Joseph. So if you're ready to begin, go ahead and say a prayer for us real quick. Father, I thank you for bringing us together this evening, Lord, through the trials and triumphs that Kyle and I both have had over this past week. Father, I ask that you give us wisdom, Lord, and that you give us your voice, Father, that we can teach your word that we can make an impression on others, Lord, that we can teach others, Lord, that somebody may take something from this and use it in their lives. Thank you again, Father, for our health. Thank you again, Father, for the ability to do what we do. In Jesus' name I pray and ask it all. Amen. Amen. So I guess we'll just get right into it then, if, you, if that's cool with you. Yeah, go ahead. So, I'm, still, I'm still trying to find the Bible page. All right, sounds good. So it's a real long story. So Joseph is talked about from Genesis 37 to 49. So if we were to sit here and talk, like read the whole thing, we'd be here all day. So I'm just going to give the kind of synopsis, the summary of it. So Joseph in Genesis was, oh, and once again, we encourage the listeners to go through and check our story, read this on your own. Um, But it is a lengthy passage. And so we're just going to give the summary. So Joseph was the son of Jacob and Rachel. And if you remember, Jacob had two wives. Um, Jacob, his name was changed to Israel, but it's kind of interchangeably. Jacob and Israel are the same person. Jacob had two wives. He had Rachel and I think uh, Leah Leah was the other one. Yeah. Um, And so Joseph was the child of Jacob and Rachel. And Joseph's brothers, which Jacob only had two children with Rachel. He had Joseph and I think Benjamin. Um, that may or may, Benjamin may or may not be right, but jo- Joseph was yeah. definitely the child. Yeah, Joseph, of jo- Joseph and Benjamin. Okay, good. Rachel was uh, his true love, his favorite wife. Right, right. And that, that plays into the story. So that's a good point right there. So Joseph's brothers who all 10 of his brothers he had a, it was Joseph and 11 others. 10 of the brothers were children of Jacob and Leah. And so his brothers were all jealous because Joseph loved, or Jacob loved Joseph more than all the other ones. And so they sold Joseph into slavery and told Jacob that he was dead. So um, Joseph, having been in slavery, he was serving Potiphar, who was, a, yeah, Potiphar, who was an Ishmaelite. He was, the Ishmaelites are descendants of Abraham, but they're the Muslims. They're the descendants of Abraham's um, illegitimate child, Ishmael. And so they would go on to be the Muslims. And essentially, Joseph and the Ishmaelites were cousins, like distant cousins, but that's, that's something else. Um, so Potiphar loved Joseph because Joseph was a godly man. And so he, he was willing to work hard. He kept his, his mind right. And so Potiphar made Joseph the overseer of his entire house. So he was all the slaves answered to Joseph, who then answered to Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with Joseph, 
but Joseph, because he was a godly man, he did he that would be adultery, and so he didn't want to do that. Um, he ran away from her. She she didn't like that, and so she told the master, she told Potiphar, her husband, that Joseph had raped her because she stole his clothes and told everybody that he that Joseph raped her. Hashtag me too. Um, <laughs> and then Potiphar was mad because he believed his wife and threw Joseph in prison. Joseph was in prison for two years. Um, but while he was in prison, God was still with Joseph. And so the master of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. So same story, all the prisoners bring their stuff to Joseph. And then Joseph decides what goes to the master, but Joseph handles all the business. He was, Bobby Dino would call him the shot caller. Um, so at one point, Joseph interpreted the dreams of two other prisoners. So the dreams were, um, I forget what the exact dreams were, but the interpretations were that one person, one of the, was to be restored as the Pharaoh's butler. So he had been the Pharaoh's butler before and within three days he was going to be made the butler again but the other one was going to die within three days and so joseph asked the butler to that when he gets to be with pharaoh to remember him that hopefully the pharaoh would let joseph out of prison because joseph didn't do anything wrong of course the the butler forgot about him and so joseph had to sit there in prison for a while but then at one point the pharaoh started having dreams and he searched everywhere for somebody to interpret these dreams. And all of a sudden the butler remembered, Hey, Joseph interpreted my dream correctly. Maybe he can do Pharaoh's as well. And so the Pharaoh calls on the, on Joseph to interpret the dream. And what the dream was, was that Egypt was going to have seven years of bountiful harvest, seven years of um, good. They're going to have more than they, they're going to reap more than they sow. But then they're going to, after that seven years, they're going to have seven years of famine where they're not going to harvest anything. And so Joseph made a plan for Egypt to where everybody had to, some of the food that they harvested when during the good years, they had to give it to the government so that that way they could, the people could still eat during the bad years and Egypt would still survive. And so Pharaoh is so impressed with the interpretation and with the prediction and the plan that Joseph has set in place that he puts Joseph in charge of everything. So this whole plan that you've established, you're going to go carry that out for me. And he basically, Pharaoh gave Joseph power over everything. He said, everything, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Just don't sit in my throne. I'm still in charge, but you do whatever you want to. Yeah, it's amazing because everywhere that uh, Joseph went, he was put second in command. Right, exactly, exactly. And so Egypt stores up the food for the seven years. Um, and so and so they have this big stockpile. And then during the, the famine, everybody has to come to Joseph for food so that they can eat. Um, before long, within those seven bad years, Joseph's brothers had to come to him for food. And the same brothers that sold him into slavery at the beginning of the story. Um, they didn't realize that they were talking to Joseph, but Joseph knew who they were. And so Joseph kind of kind of kept them in the dark uh, on who, as to who he was, because in their mind, they figured there's no way he could be a slave and now be in charge of all this stuff. And so he held them, uh, he had them detained 
He accused them of being spies. He held them for three days, and then finally they confessed. They confessed. They told Joseph, okay, we feel bad. We sold our brother into slavery. We feel bad about it. They had this guilty conscience. And so after three days, when they said that to him, he let him go. He let him go back to their house, to Jacob. But Joseph kept Simeon with him because Jacob, when he sent the people, the brothers in for food, didn't send Benjamin because Benjamin was his new favorite after Joseph, after he thought Joseph died, Benjamin became his new favorite because Benjamin was also the child of Rachel. He was trying to hold on to that little bit of Rachel that he had. So he kept Simeon and would only let him go if they brought, if the brothers came back with Benjamin. So all 12 brothers would be together. Um, they all came back. They had a feast. Joseph had to, Joseph had to keep leaving the feast so that he could go cry because it was it was hard for him. It was hard for him to see his brothers and not tell them who he was. And it was hard for him to see how far they had come and that they felt bad about selling him into slavery without without uh, crying about it. You know, he was so emotional. And so he had to keep leaving. And then finally, Joseph told his brothers who he was. And ultimately, in the end, I'm skipping over a lot of details here, but in the end, Pharaoh gave the whole family a place to live outside outside of Egypt. So in one of the neighboring lands, which he had conquered, he gave the whole family a place to live. And um, Jacob lived there for the rest of his life. So Jacob, also known as Israel, ended up dying in that land where that Pharaoh had given them. So that's pretty much the story. Extremely condensed. There's a lot of great details in there. I encourage everybody to go read it. But where do you want to start from there? I think we'll start with or where I want to start at is uh, Joseph's dreams. And that was one of the details I left out of the summary. But uh, the whole reason he was sold into slavery was uh, the dreams he had about him and his brothers. Where his brother's stars bowed to his star, his brother's sheaves of wheat bowed to his sheaves of wheat and it made him jealous. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that part. So that that's important to know that when it comes to um, – him going to prison you know the baker dreamed that ravens came and ate the loaves of bread over a period of three days and the butler Ferris butler dreamed that um basically that that every day for three days he would take, he would gather uh, grapes from the vine press them into wine and serve them to pharaoh so joseph was able to to uh and Joseph didn't interpret God giving the answer, the ability to interpret. But, um, you know, he told the, the butler, he said, what yours means is that within three days' time, Pharaoh will come and exalt you back to your position. Told the baker, what yours means is in three days' time, you'll be executed. And both came to be true. But um, all, all that leads up to... Uh, and and, I, and I'm skipping through the story, and I'm going to do that a lot in our conversation because there's so many, so many topics that yeah. happen at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end that all just tie together. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when you get to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh dreams about the seven fat calves and the seven beautiful ears of corn, and he dreams of the seven sickly cows that come and eat the fat cows, and the seven sickly ears of corn that eat the good ears of corn symbolizing the seven years of abundance and then seven years of famine. 
So, but it's important to understand that um, this ability was God telling uh, Joseph what the answer to these dreams are. And it's also important to realize in the story that God, and, and, and it says in the story, I believe, um, that God gave Pharaoh those dreams. So the point of the dreams, and, and, and it seems like such a small thing, it's a large thing, but it's a small thing. But you got to realize that Joe's that that God gave Joseph that ability, and God gave these men these dreams, so that Joseph could be ultimately set in this position to save his family, to save God's people. It wasn't about Joseph saving his dad and brothers; it was about God keeping his people, and He used Egypt to do this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I wonder. And you say that about God preserving his people, God saving his people. And there's probably a definite answer to this, and you probably know what it is, but I do not. The land that Pharaoh put up Joseph and his brothers in, would that have been Israel? No. No? Okay. No, that was um, that was in the uh, Nile River Delta area. It was uh, some oh, okay. of the best and most fertile land in all of Egypt. Okay. So, um, because... Um, Israel, Jacob's kids, he, there were 12 of them. Those were the 12 tribes of Israel, correct? Correct. So then well, how did eventually they got to Israel? Well, um, they, that goes on into the story of Moses and the uh, exile from, or the exodus from Egypt. Okay, gotcha. Where they went, uh, you know, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 days, and then uh, after Moses died, uh, Joshua led them into the promised land. Right, but those twelve kids were still the the twelve tribes, correct? So it was quite literally God's preserving Israel, God saving Israel, correct? I don't remember. Wrong? I don't remember exactly how the twelve tribes go, but there is no tribe of Joseph. But Joseph's two children, each, are their own tribe. So I'm okay. not sure where um, where the tribes is. I'll you give me a minute. I'll find out for you there. <laughs> But yeah, I just think it's interesting that you said that about God preserving his people. And then quite literally, the whole, uh, the entirety of Israel will will uh, descend from these people. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Jesus, Joseph's, Jesus's earthly dad, Joseph, descended from these people as well. Correct. And, um, and his mother, his mother was uh, from the tribe of uh, Judah. Mary and and Mary is the important person in, in the in, in in the story of Christ being born. Right. Mary is uh she's from the tribe of Judah, and she's a direct descendant of King David. Right, it's fulfilling the prophecy that Christ would would take up the throne of David. Mm-hmm. Which David would make another good story. Yes, if we keep on this same path that we've been on, where we do kind of do character studies. Yes, a man after God's own heart. Yeah, for sure. Okay, but back to Joseph. Um, I thought it was interesting that his actions determined the outcome. So one of the first ones that we did, it might have been the first one that we did, was about Samson, remember? Yes. And so Samson's actions led to a, a bad life for him. 
a bad life, a bad Christian walk and a bad, just not a good outcome. But Joseph kind of acts the opposite of how Samson was. Samson was messing up around every corner. Joseph, on the other hand, he kept a level head the whole time. And so God threw him in, or not God didn't, but Potiphar threw him in prison. And he never once, that the Bible tells us, lost his cool. He, he in fact, made favor with the prison master. And so he must have had a pretty good head on him. He he did at one time while he was in prison. You know, God, why, why am I? You know, I've done everything you've asked. Right. Which is which is very reminiscent of uh, of uh, Job, the story of Job. You know, finally, you know, Satan does so much to Job that God allows it. Job's like, God, what are you doing? I've served you. I've done the. I've done your what you've commanded. Why is this happening to me? Right. But. Who doesn't, who who doesn't ask why every so often? Correct. God's God's vision for us is so grand and so big that we cannot comprehend what He wants for us. We can only sit there and say, "Okay, God, you th- you've given me this. Give me the strength to handle it." You know. But I just thought it was interesting how level his head was because, like, going back to Samson, we see many times he loses his cool, he loses his temper, and. Joseph kept a level head the entire time. And he didn't complain too. That wasn't that's another big thing. It doesn't like he asked why the one time that we know of. Yeah, he he's pretty much just right. just rolled with it. Kept his head down and handled his business. You know, how many of us can say that? Right, you know, exactly. You know, me, you, I know many people that strive to live our lives as godly as possible, but I mean it's hard to go with the flow sometimes you don't know what god's purpose is right you know going going back to god's purpose joseph was a favorite he was given the coat of many colors the robe or tunic or whatever you want to call it and uh which was a sign of nobility and royalty so uh he was automatically put on this pedestal high above his brothers which we seen in the dreams as well but God put it on Jacob's heart. And, and and this whole thing, it's so funny because Jacob's dad did it to him, what Jacob did with Joseph to his brothers. But that's a whole other story. But, um, you know, Joseph didn't have to work the fields. He didn't have to, to tend the wheat. He didn't have to tend the sheep. He was learned. Jacob taught him Egyptian. Jacob taught him mathematics, reading, writing. And it shows you God's plan because what does a nomadic tribe in the desert need to know this stuff for? <laughs> so God already had it in the works where he's going to get sold into slavery, but this is already in the plan, which I mean, you know, anybody that reads their Bible knows that God knew you before you were born. He already had your whole life planned out for you. So it, it's the story of Joseph to me is a, is a massive example of, God's plan for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 12 tribes of Israel question. Um, Joseph's tribe was split into Ephraim and Manasseh, which was his sons. They were half Egyptian, half Hebrew. Okay. Oh, so that one tribe was kind of two separate 
Right. Joseph, uh, he, since he married an Egyptian woman and not a Hebrew woman. Right. So he, he, he didn't get his trap. Gotcha. But yeah, you're exactly right about like God's plan in our lives. And we have no idea what could be in store for us. We just have to hope that we can make the best of it when it comes. Like, do you think Joseph had any idea when he was being taught, kept out of the field, that his life was going to end up being a slave? Probably no, not. He, he probably yeah, thought he, he was no meant clue. for nobility. Yeah. But Joseph, if you know, if you know the beginning of the story, you know, he keeps asking his father, you know, why can't I go out with my brothers? He wanted to go out with his brothers. He he didn't understand why he was where he was. Hmm. Um, it was actually in one of those incidents where uh, Jacob relented and let Joseph go with his brothers that they they sold him into slavery. Which you know, at first they were going to kill him. Right. They threw him, they threw right. him in a pit. And then some slavers happened by and they pulled him out of the pit and sold him into slavery. Mm-hmm. That's interesting that like he didn't choose the life that he, he was given. And actually, I think that nowhere in the story really does he choose the life that he's given because he didn't choose to be raised with a silver spoon in his mouth. And he didn't choose to be sold into slavery. And then when he got with Potiphar, he had a good life, well, as good a life as he could have had as a slave. But then he didn't choose to be thrown into prison. And then when he was in prison, he asked the butler to remember him. And the butler forgot about him. He couldn't choose to get out of prison. And then he, even when he was with the Pharaoh, like, he, he finally he could do everything he wanted to do. You know, he could do, he could um, rule over Egypt. So, like, we're making a kind of, kind of a case against free will and a lot of my writing and a lot of my thought process has gone into free will. Yes. Versus no, but Joseph kind of makes a case against it. Don't you think? A little bit, but I mean, free, free will is, is our gift from God is the greatest gift God gave us. Right. Well, and I agree with that. I agree that we do have free will, but Sometimes I, I second guess it, you know, because if he, if, and I'm kind of just spitballing here. This wasn't a, where I wanted to take this conversation, but if God knows everything and knows our, has our whole life planned out, do you think that we're making these choices on our own or do you think that he's making them for us? No, we're making them on his own. God, so you, you're you're touching on a sticky theological subject right there, as far as uh, predestination or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, some branches of theology believe that we're predestined. God knows before we're born if we're going to heaven or hell. Um, I don't know how. I, I don't really know where I stand on predestination because some arguments make sense, some arguments are, are absolute rubbish. But um, God has our life. This this is how I describe it. God has a plan for our life. Mm-hmm. Before we're born, he says, all right, I want Kyle and Joseph to get together and have a podcast in 2019. Well, what if tomorrow I sent you a message and said, hey, I don't want to do this no more? You know, would I, is that in God's plan or is that not in God's plan? So we have the we have the decision to follow our hearts 
for we have the decision to follow God. And the Bible says the heart is, is, is evil and wicked, and no man knows it. So, I'm trying to formulate my thoughts caught me off guard with this one. <laughs> I kind of caught myself off guard with it. Um, so, we do, we do, so, okay, God knows everything, past, present, and future. Right. So, he, he knows the decision we're going to make before we make it, but we're still allowed to make that decision. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, yeah. he knows who's going to heaven or hell. He doesn't predestine anybody to heaven or hell. I, I don't think that at all hmm. but i think he knows how you're going to pick one way or the other okay yeah that makes a lot of sense but it, it like i said it, it's still our choice mm-hmm. so that brings into the to you know a lot of people bring up the question well if he knows you're going to pick the road that sends you to hell why does he even let you be born for his glorification probably correct that i mean that's the only reason I can think of. Yeah, every, everything God has ever done has been for his glorification. Right. So even on the day of judgment, when the sheep and the goats are separated and the goats are led into the fires of hell, it is for the glory of God, for his righteousness. Hmm. You know, that makes a lot of people mad. and I'm sorry, but that's, that's what right. it is. Right. That's, that's the God we serve. And I tell people before, you know, even if there was no plan for salvation, Christ never came, never hung on the cross, never the death, burial, resurrection never happened. Our God is such an awesome God that even if we are hell bound and nothing we could do to change it, he is still worthy of our praise and worship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't really mean to take it that way. That's just kind of, I, I, I felt it and I, I kind of just, just spitballed it. So, but that was a good, that was, I think it was a good kind of detour. No, anytime. <laughs> what else sometimes, you got about some, some, sometimes I get too focused. <laughs> I need I need that little little break yeah. off right there. Yeah. All right. Tell me what else you got. All right. So back to uh, Joseph. So we've already covered that uh, his brothers tried intended on killing him, decided to sell him to slavery, mm-hmm. sold him twenty pieces of silver, mm-hmm. which. Made, Draws a pretty close line between Judas. That's what that's what I was about to mention. Judas sold Jesus for thirty pieces of silver. Right. So this goes again with uh, the importance of Joseph of being the second, the second down from the top rung. Mm-hmm. So so Joseph's price was ten pieces of silver less than the price of God. Mm-hmm. To, to show you how close he walked with God. Um. So he was he was. Attempted murder, changed mind, sold into slavery, goes on to leave Potiphar's house. And, and, th- and this is God putting him in these positions. You know, why did Potiphar choose him at the slave market? You know, it, it's this is all being led and directed by God. So, wife tries to have a fair. Joseph stands up, says no. Lies told, he's thrown in prison. So Joseph's life is a series of ups and downs and ups and downs. You know, he's on top with his dad. He's down literally in a pit and then in slavery up at Potiphar's house. He's still in slave. He's still a slave, but he's not treated as a slave. You know, he has freedom. He can go to the markets. You know, Potiphar sends him out on chores. Then he's down into the, to the dungeon. Then he's back up again on top and, and then he finishes on top. 
where he begins on top and finishes on top. And the whole story of Joseph is, is very much a picture of any of our lives. The ups and downs we face. We get down in the valleys, we get up on the hilltops. And the valleys are dark and they're cold and they're damp and nobody likes being down there. But, you know, I've said it before, God does all his work in the valleys. Oh, yeah. That's, sure. where, he, that's where he builds and constructs you. Hmm. You know, going on into, you know, after Joseph passes away and a couple pharaohs come and go and they don't remember Joseph, um, the children of Israel are enslaved by, by Egypt. While they're enslaved and oppressed and the Egyptians doing everything you can against them and you're killing newborn males, you know, they're doing everything. God just flourishes the children of Egypt. And that's how, that's how God works. He, he does more building when we're in turmoil and we are in strife. That is where character is built. That's where our spirituality is built. Mm-hmm. But uh, back to the story. I'm trying really hard not to get off of this. Um, I really like that, what you said, though, about God does all of his work in the lows. Because it's true, like, when we're riding high, and some of it's partially our fault, but when we're riding high, we get to thinking, oh, we don't need God, you know? But Yeah, and, and, that, and, that's, low. and, and that's exactly right. It's people tend, when times are good, people tend to forget God. Right. When times get bad, that's when everybody, oh, God, help me, oh, God, save me, oh, God, fix this. Mm-hmm. And, um, but me, me and uh, Nick Larry had a conversation a little while back about the valleys and the peaks. And Nick's not a religious person, I don't, not that I know of. But uh, you know, we live for the peaks, getting mm-hmm. on top of that mountain, looking out and seeing the view around us. But you have to travel. To get from peak to peak, you have to go down into the valley to climb up the next mountain mm-hmm. to get a whole new scenery, a whole new view. And even though mine and his discussion wasn't religious in nature, it brought a, a point to to Christianity in my mind, it made me instantly think he said, I said, you know, this is, this is, this is on point because we get on this spiritual high and then something happens. You said you had a rough couple of days. I don't know what that was, but you kind of went down a little Valley right there, but now you're on another high again. You got a whole new piece of scenery from the top of another mountain. Oh man. And I hope to ride it all week. <laughs> and I hope you do. And, but you know, life is, a series of mountaintops mm-hmm. and you can stay in one place, but you'll never go anywhere. Mm-hmm. You'll always be right there. So if you want to change the scenery and you want to get to the next mountaintop, you got to travel down into that Valley. That's right. Where God's going to test you, where God's going to build you, where God's going to construct you. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget where I was at in my story. Oh, so, um, in Genesis 50, chapter 50. 50, verse 20. One second, let me find it. I kind of stopped my summary at chapter 49, so we're getting into uncharted territory now. <laughs> 50, verse 20, I got it. What do you want to read it? I'm in, hold on. Yeah, <laughs> I stopped at uh, chapter 49, so I was like, where's my verse? <laughs> so it's, you know, Chapter 50 summarizes the whole story altogether. That's at the end of chapter 50 talks about Jesus' death in Egypt. But uh, verse 20 says, 
man, I can't, I can't see. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And, you, and he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. So the whole summary, the message, if you will, from the story of Joseph is despite all the evil that was put against Joseph, God used every little bit of it for good. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing that happens to you and me in our lives. For every hardship that comes against us, for every evil that comes against us, for every negative situation, faith in, if we keep the faith in God that Joseph kept while in the pit and while in the prison, God will use that for his, like we said before, glorification. Right. So what was intended for evil, God will use for good. Mm -hmm. and, will use, and, and he will use us to bring that good about. And through his glorification, we receive our blessings. Look at Joseph. He became a prince of Egypt. Money, wealth, power. And we're not all going to receive money, wealth, and power. But the point of that being is through God's glorification, Joseph received his blessing. Through God's glorification, I'll receive my blessings. You'll receive your blessings. You know, my blessing is my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, one one day on my other podcast, I may give my testimony of my life. It, it, it amazes most people where I was 20 years ago from where I'm at now. Um, and, and they come from finding God and changing my life to give God glory for his glorification. And in return, I've been blessed tremendously. You know, Thursday is mine and my wife's anniversary. And, um, excited about that happy about that i'm just as in love with that woman as the day i met her if happy not anniversary more. appreciate it <laughs> but uh that that's that, that's kind of where i ended with my notes right there is just to realize that uh no matter what you're going through in life god has a purpose for it and though we don't understand that purpose it is for his glory and it will turn into our blessing that's right that's absolutely right so I think that's good because the last couple of podcasts that we've done have been kind of admonishing people like you, this is how you should be living. This is how you should be living. But that's real good because now we're providing encouragement for people and I love it. Right. And I, you know, I posted on, on Twitter earlier how I'm not an evangelical teacher. I'm a dis, uh, discipleship teacher. Right. And unfortunately discipleship comes a lot with, okay, you're doing this wrong. You need to do this. This could be better. Let's, this is how you're supposed to do it. So, uh, mm -hmm. I do tend to rant in that direction a lot, but, uh, that, that's, that's my calling from God is trying to keep people straight. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that requires calling people out sometimes. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to respond to your Twitter, to your tweet. I was watching it the whole time. And at one point you had tagged me in it, but, um, I could never figure out how to word it, but I guess I'll kind of work through it now. My response to it would have been that there is no shortage of people out there that can tell you how to get saved and that can tell, okay, if we as Christians are doing our job right, there is no shortage of us that can tell other people, un unsaved Christians or unsaved people, how to get accept Christ into their hearts and how to get saved. Right. But the shortage then and the problem that I have had with a lot of pastors 
our church is looking for a pastor right now. And many of them come in, many pastors come in and kind of, this is how you get saved. And this is how right. this, that, you know, but the thing is a lot of Christians and a lot of churchgoers know that already. We I, need, call, I call that the Sunday morning sermon. Right. So, so at my church every Sunday morning, it's about, you know, this is how you get saved. This is salvation. This is blah, 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 heaven, hell. Because your highest attendance is on Sunday morning. Right. So you're more likely to get an unbeliever in church on a Sunday morning. Right. Yeah. I, you've probably seen me tweet it before. All the juicy stuff's on Sunday evening and Wednesday evening at my church. That's, that's when right. he's talking to the people in the church. That's right. That's right. And that's the, that's the thing. That's what I, that's what I like. That's, I am looking for people like that, that can teach how, that can give encouragement to already saved Christians and mature Christians, you know? And so I don't see anything wrong with deciding to focus on one area of life. And your church probably has, do you have numerous pastors in your church or just one? Um, we have one pastor with three assistant pastors and one pastor. Yeah. So my church has, we have a pastor. Well, we're looking for a pastor, but we have someone that's filling in. And then we have two deacons and my dad is one of those deacons, but the deacon's job is to teach Sunday night and Wednesday night. And they teach more of the, how to live, how to, how to be a mature Christian right. versus the, the unsaved person, you know? And and I replied to somebody and I don't know if you've seen that one or not. I said, you know, there's three aspects mm-hmm. to Christianity. You have the evangelical, the discipleship and the apologetics. There are plenty of even of uh, evangelists out there. There's plenty of missionaries in the field. There's plenty of traveling preachers going church to church. There's plenty of people doing apologetics, defending the faith. Mm-hmm. Both of those things are incredibly important. One brings in the new converts and the other defends the faith from unbelievers. Discipleship is where I see so many churches suffering out. You don't have anybody specifically teaching godly living. And godly living, you know, is what brings you closer to God. It's what makes that relationship stronger and closer and, and your walk closer. And through discipleship, you get your evangelicals and you get your apologetics because you have you, you have to grow and mature. And, and growing and maturing is just not taught anymore. It wasn't right. taught in my church until I brought it up and I was like, y'all, we are – Right. So now, now we actually have an evangelical team. These are people that go out and knock on doors. Hey, love to see you come to church. Then we have our discipleship team. So if someone gets saved on a Sunday morning and baptized or somebody joins the church on Wednesday night, like if I'm, if I, if they're on my team on Wednesday night, instead of going into the service, we'll go over to the fellowship hall and just read through the Bible. Mm-hmm. I'll answer questions for them. I'll ask them questions and I'll show them different aspects. And a lot of times it turns into counseling. <laughs> but uh, it, it's uh, I, I, it's just something that we need more of. Yeah, for sure. So you had said that you were done with Joseph, but I do have a couple more things. Okay. Um. So I already know the answer to it, but I want to get your take on it. Do you think that Joseph was a good example of being a Christian and kind of explain, like, give your take on that? 
Yeah, absolutely, I do. I think um, I think he's a very prime example of how we should live our lives, um, regardless of what situation we're placed in. Like I said before, you know that is a uh, situation that God placed him in for a reason, and Joseph never lost his his faith in God on that, and he kept turning to God in every situation, good and bad. Um, you know, another thing to look at in in Joseph's walk with God is. He received a, uh, hold on one second. Joseph's phone started ringing. Yeah, I got one of those ringers that get louder and louder, so y'all were about to hear it in a minute if I didn't stop that. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Um, okay, so, so Joseph is an example of a Christian. Mm-hmm. So, he stayed with God. He turned to God for everything. He trusted God in every situation, good and bad. He never quit talking with God. He never quit walking with God. Um, as far as though I think he was a good Christian, I think he's he's the perfect example of, of how we should live our lives as a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question can get kind of tricky. Is is he an example of what a Christian should be, or is he an example of what we see nowadays as a Christian? And he's an example of what a Christian should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was kind of a victim of circumstance because all these things happened to him and he just had to uh, react to them. But he still exhibited all the all of the things that... So rather than making things happen himself and going out and winning hearts to Jesus and st- winning hearts to God and things like that, he kind of reacted to what God threw at him but he reacted in such a way that was perfect for how we should react as Christians. Well, see, there's two kinds of uh, evangelizing and and I've talked about it before. I don't know if I have them here or not. One is through going out and talking to people, knocking on doors, talking to strangers, sharing, but the most powerful way to evangelize anybody is by example of your own life. When you follow, when you follow Christ and you lived, you live as Christ-like, as righteously, as holy as you possibly can. Other people around you see that, and that becomes a testament to who you are, and it's a testimony for God and God's kingdom. So I think through, even though he wasn't actively out converting, and at that time, you know, they did, none, nobody did that. Right. So his. his his thing was his life. I think the reason you know, I asked earlier, why did Potiphar choose him? You know, something about Joseph stood out and I can walk into a room. If me and you walk into the room, I guarantee you if in five minutes, you and I'll be able to pick out the believers and the non-believers, true believers and non-believers. It's just an error about a person. Mm-hmm. Complete different mentality. They carry themselves different. They talk differently. They think differently they respond differently. And I think Joseph was a great example of all that. Yeah. then, I mean, that's all I have. That was a good answer for that. Um, I thought this was a good one because like I said before, it was more encouraging more so than admonishing. And we kind of did a little bit of admonishing there and how to live and how to be a Christian, but it's good that, 
the encouraging aspect of, yeah, there's going to be bad times in life. And we go through those a lot, almost every week. But yeah, that was that discipleship part of me. I was talking right, about. Right. I, but, I have to, I have to admonish at some point. In time. It's like that. <laughs> it's like that preacher that has to get a little hellfire and fury in every sermon. No <laughs> so when but, you uh, when you preach, are you one of the ones that are standing up and shaking your fists like this and screaming at the top of your lungs? <laughs> so I learned from my pastor. Let me put it this way: that pulpit has so many dents in it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it was three weeks ago. He was up there and he got to jumping up and down and he was yelling and pounding his fist and he broke his watch. Mm. I mean, it flew in like three different pieces into the congregation. Wow. So <laughs> I, I got I to gotta hit up Phil about getting my pastor a watch. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. But, so uh, yeah, I mean, that's all the notes I have unless if you wanted to talk about something. No, nah, I'm good. I'm done. That's everything I had. All right. I like good. good questions, and I, you, you hit me with a couple of them I wasn't expecting. I, I, like <laughs> I wasn't that. expecting some of them either. That one about free will just kind of hit me. I like that. We're, <laughs> flex that theological muscle. Yeah, there you go. But uh, so, so quick question: You think angels have free will? Angels have free will. I don't know. See, I've heard yes and no from from different churches, pastors, theologians. Right. See, I, I think I would have to say yes. That's my answer. Why is that your answer? Because Lucifer. He chose to disobey because God. Because Exactly. He chose yep. to go against the word of God. And there were numerous angels that, decided, that chose that same exact thing. And they became the demons. They became Lucifer's demons, if right. I'm correct. And so I, I would have to say yes for that reason. So, free will is what makes man different than any other animal on the planet, any mm-hmm. other of God's creation. So, think about it. The heavenly bodies, the demonic beings, and humans mm-hmm. are the only three things in creation that operates off of free will and not just off of instinct. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let you chew on that for the next week. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this back up next week if I remember. Okay. Say it again. So humans, the angelic beings, and the demonic beings are the only three creatures of creation that operate on free will. Why? And what does that mean for us as humans? Hmm. I have some initial thoughts, but they're not my own. They're Roman McClay's thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. He won't sue. All right. Sounds good. Well, Roman McClay, if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, we're talking about you. Um, I just read in Sanction Book 2 when one of the characters, it might have been Isaiah, is asking himself if he's talking about the monkeys and if you have thousands of monkeys typing on a, on a typewriter for thousands of years, you're eventually going to get Shakespeare. And people use that argument to explain the world and the randomness of the world where the world is so random that eventually we got Shakespeare and they use that against creation. But what if that is the creation story where God randomly created the whole universe and then testing different things to see if they would work. 
and then God created the world, the earth, in, in the seven days to where that creation ultimately ended up working. You know what I mean? And I don't know, we're getting kind of out of the out of the Bible here. This is just speculation, and I don't know how how Christian so my, it is. Um, it's very not Christian, but right, uh, right. Uh, my dad, my dad said something to me years ago that stuck with me. I don't know why it stuck with me, but uh, in Revelation it talks about uh, the new heaven and the new earth, and the mm-hmm. old heaven and the old earth passing away. Mm-hmm. And my dad said, "You have Venus, Earth, and Mars." Mars looks like what Earth will look like one day, and Venus looks like an early Earth. Is what mm-hmm. science tells us. Mm-hmm. So my dad was like, "What if Mars was an old Earth, and we are the newest version? Mm-hmm. But when we pass away, God's like moving us all to Venus." <laughs> so it's kind—it's of, kind of all the same thing. It's an interesting thought. It's not very theological, right? But uh, but right. to be on, but to be honest, it could. I mean, there's nothing saying that you're not right in your thought because we, we don't know how God works. Right, exactly. And that's where – go ahead. There's a whole line of theological thinking where the seven days is an actual set of literal days. So there's three, there's three thoughts in theological creation. One of them is that seven days, because the Bible says a day a thousand years, a thousand years a day. No man knows the time of God. So was it 24 physical hours? in one day or is it one of god's days which we have no recollect we have no ability to comprehend what his day is because god's outside of time space and time so one thought is the seven years we're we're currently living in the seventh day over the past 4.6 billion years of earth's history we are in the seventh day now so that's that's the long game theological debate another one is that there was the first day when Earth was a void, and then there's billions of years delay between the first and second day, and then there's the the, the seven literal twenty four hour days of creation. So your your theory can, or not your theory, but what you're talking about can kind of go in either one of those first two theories, right? Where uh, the first one, really, where God, you know, we're in the seventh day, God created us over billions of years, even gives room for evolution. Mm-hmm. That God created man through evolution. Mm-hmm. I'm a creationist, seven 24-hour days. Um, I think if God evolved us, the Bible would tell us that God evolved us. Right, right. And once again, these are not my ideas. These are Roman's ideas. But the way that he said it is that if God created the whole universe to be kind of random and he, he focused time, which how are we to tell God what to do and what he did do? You know, we don't know. God knows. But if he did this, if he did where he created, say, one um, dimension, say, and that dimension didn't work, and then he came and created another one and then another one and then another one, where it sort of was the random monkey typing on a computer where he would see okay, this worked, this did not. But then to tie it back into your question, what if the angels and the demons are one of those different things where God is seeing, okay, does this work and does, or does it not? And the angels are just kind of left over from that where like, okay, the angels didn't work because Lucifer and Satan were created. But then that kind of carried over into the world, this creation. And 
whether God thinks that this creation worked or not is not for me to say. But what if he's just letting it carry on, carry over? No, the Bible does say that uh, after we go to heaven, we will be as the angels receiving a glorified body. Right. But um, it's interesting thought. And Roman has some interesting thoughts in there. Um, right, right. And I don't know how how factual they are, and I don't think anybody knows. It's, it's only God so, knows that. So, so calling the universe random alone is something I would question. The universe is not very random at all. I mean, it's right. very it's very organized. You have the laws of physics. Uh, I don't know if you ever talked to Emily Red on Twitter. No, I don't know. But theoretic and quantum physics is her thing. Okay. And uh, everything is. Uh, she's an author too. She she's friends with Adam, but. Uh, she's a good one to talk to about stuff like that because the universe is, is not random at all. Right. So I heard one guy say one time that if I took my watch off and broke it into a hundred pieces, put those pieces in a bag, I stood here and shook this bag for four and a half billion years. Will I pull out a watch? No, probably not. Yeah. It's not going to happen. A working, not just a watch, a working watch. Right. You know, it's, it's not going to happen. Right. So the same way evolution says that the big bang came out of nothing, nothing, came, everything came from nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing can come from nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, and if you want to keep going on that, where did God come from? If everything has to come from something, you know, religion says God just always existed. Well, our human minds cannot wrap ourselves around the thought of something just always being. Right. So that's, and when we get to heaven, all questions will be answered and all truths will be revealed. So right. that's something we're going to have to wait for heaven on. Right. I think I think creation is one of those things we're we're not gonna know until we get there. Right, exactly. And I may have just gone the last ten minutes for blaspheming God, and I may have to pray for (laughs) some (laughs) forgiveness. But that's just you asked about the angels and stuff, so that's the first thought that came to my mind was reading Sanction and reading Roman. So that's. I don't don't think it was blasphemous. I think it was a good discussion. (laughs) hey, because you're bringing up stuff that I've been asked before. Right. So uh, anybody listening could potentially have the same questions. So Right. Well, and to go back into the watch, what if you put God into that bag too? So you got the whole bag with the watch pieces, and then you add a little bit of God in there and start shaking it. It's real possible that you pull out a working watch then, right. isn't it? So if God has his hand in the, in the creating, and maybe not just the universe, maybe there are di- other dimensions out there to go into the kind of the – <laughs> the Marvel Cinematic Universe out here or something, but maybe there are other dimensions that just didn't work and just carry kind of the angels are from one of those and just carried over. I don't I know, be- you know. I believe very much, you know. Um, I, I did a short little live stream about a month or so ago talking about the spirit world. Mm-hmm. And we're surrounded by the spirit world. I, I, I firmly believe, and I, I have scripture written down somewhere to back up this thought, but uh, that, yeah, we're absolutely heaven hell angels demons all exist in another dimension other than mm-hmm. our own there's a spiritual mm-hmm. dimension yes absolutely so, so i don't know if that's same in lines with third fourth fifth sixth dimension um i think we're up to nine dimensions now according to string theory <laughs> but um you know so a little conspiracy theory here you know cern over in switzerland you know one of the things that they're trying to do is poke a hole into mm-hmm. another dimension mm-hmm and they have mentioned that, you know, they want to send a message through or it could be possible that something comes through this hole they're trying to poke in between the dimensions. Um, oh, 
Jeez, where was I going with that? Did you see the thing about Saren and the the Lucifer and stuff? Devil worship? Oh, the little ceremony they had out there? Yeah, yeah. I've seen videos of that. And the statues, they got Luciferian statues out there, too. You, you know the Vatican's main telescope is named Lucifer? <laughs> it's the Lucifer telescope. No, I did not know that. Yep. Because Lucifer means a light bearer, so... <laughs> but, uh... So, uh... Back, back to CERN. So science, scientists admits that there's more than one dimension. Uh, theory, mathematics shows that there's more than one dimension to what's going on. Right. So um, what if, what if, let's go on some wild speculations. You know, in the end of days, the key to the bottomless pit will be given to the star that falls from heaven and demons will be loosed on the world. What if CERN holds that key and they're about to open that pit? So you so you can get crazy with stuff. I mean, right. I, you would be y'all would be amazed at stuff I watch and listen to and read. We just took a a good encouraging podcast <laughs> and ruined it. <laughs> you, you could you could edit it, right? <laughs> I'm not editing it. This is good. <laughs> But yeah, no, way way off topic. So Joseph, Joseph, and, and you know, good 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 Broadway show. Joseph and Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. The Pharaoh is dressed like Elvis, and he sings like him too. Uh, nobody's gonna listen to this anyway. We're good. <laughs> so, it's our the ones having fun anyway, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what other wild stuff do you got to unleash on the people? <laughs> oh man, my my mind is a scary place. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I guarantee you, if I unleashed my mind on here, nobody'd listen. <laughs> well, you want to end it then? Yeah, buddy. Go go ahead and All pray right. for us. All right, sounds good. Heavenly Father, thank you for the discussion that we've had here today. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Um, God, I want to pray for both of our families that God bless Joseph's family. He's got an anniversary coming up. Lord bless that. Um, dear God, I want to pray for my family as well, that everything that's going on right now can be dissolved. And God, I pray that everybody lives a good, good, happy life. Um, Father, I want to pray that the people hear the, the part about Joseph Lord from this podcast and they can draw encouragement from that and that they would just keep their mind open and keep their heart open up their hearts to you lord and all these things in jesus name i pray amen, amen. and i'll talk to you later man all right brother